Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Tonight it's the PBS debut of the new documentary Fanny, The Right to Rock. Joining us later this hour from the band Fanny is their lead guitarist, Goshen's June Millington. <laughs> you have a definite article in there. Yeah, that, nobody sees that, Khalees. You don't <laughs> have to we'll say talk. it out loud. It's and radio. We'll <laughs> and we'll talk with Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe on Mars, its moons, and their connection to Taylor Swift. It's a tenuous connection, but it it's is. it's there. It's but real. First, the Odenong powwow returns to Amherst this weekend for the third time. And joining us live in the studio, powwow singer, lecturer, and artist Justin Beatty, and organizer Kara Nye. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about this weekend's big event. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. So let's start with you, Justin. Tell us what the Odenong Pow Wow is and how it came to Amherst. Uh, so the Odenong Pow Wow is a Native American cultural gathering. Um, we have um, intertribal music, which is music that was developed in situations where there were more than one tribal nation gathering. Um, and so you have representation from tribes from all over the United States, Canada. We have indigenous folks from South and Central America as well. Um, there will also be dancing. There will be um, vendors who have all different kinds of crafts, from traditional crafts to contemporary artwork, home decor, all kinds of things. Um, we're working on getting one of the top Native American chefs in the country, uh, Sherry Pocknett, who is a 2023 James Beard Foundation finalist um, to come and provide food for us. We're in the process of finishing up the details on that. Um, we also have um, Elizabeth James Perry, who is a National Endowment for the Arts 2023 Heritage Fellow. Uh, she's going to be vending there. We have information booths from um, places like the North American Indian Center of Boston, Native American Lifelines, uh, Tides for Reproductive Freedom. Um, a bunch of different organizations are going to come and represent, as well as uh, indigenous people from the United States and Canada. Um, I founded the Odenong Pow Wow in 2021. Um, after I had a near-fatal car accident and subsequent emergency heart surgery. Wow. And um, while I was in the hospital uh, from what, May till September, um, and unconscious for a good portion of that, which was fun, uh -huh. um, missed, missed a lot of COVID. That was nice. It's <laughs> um, one way to miss out on it. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, so during that time, um, you know, the Native American community, which I'm a member here, here in New England, um, really stepped up for my family and, you know, uh, made sure we had all the things we need, helped with food, helped with paying the bills, helped get hotel rooms for my mom to be able to stay in Boston and check on me and things like that. And so once I recovered, um, I had to relearn how to walk, how to sit up, how to get dressed, all that stuff. Um, once I recovered, I, I really wanted to be able to give back to the community. I needed to figure out a way to say thank you to so many people that really showed that, you know, they cared about me and my family and operated as a community. And so I've been a powwow singer uh, for almost all of my life. I was a powwow dancer for close to 30 years. I MC powwows all throughout New England and serve in various other roles at powwows and other cultural events. And uh, it just seemed to make sense to kind of 
give back in that way, right? Hold an event where we have an opportunity to get together and celebrate who we are as indigenous people. And also, you know, it, there's an economic aspect to it where s- people that I know that are vendors and dancers and singers, you know, can have an opportunity to make some money. The vendors have an opportunity to sell some things, right, which is good for indigenous economy. The dancers, we have dan- actual competitions where the dancers can win money for, you know, being able to express culturally how they see our traditions and how they see our practices. Um, We pay our drum groups to come because they travel from all over the place. Um, And, you know, we also pay our head staff because these are people that are essentially experts in their field around traditional protocols for powwows. So, you know, we pay try to make sure that everybody is getting something. A lot of people think, oh, Native folks, they don't need money. They don't want money. But <laughs> I we got, don't we know got how bills. anybody yeah. would ever say that, <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah. Well, believe me, I hear it plenty, but <laughs> oh it's like, God. we have bills, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, my DoorDash thing is out of control, so <laughs> you know, I got to at least be able to pay for that. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity in, in those regards, and then it's also an opportunity for us to be able to have the general public come and, and see us direct and interact with us directly, like in person. A lot of times folks get their information from books and movies, which might be well-meaning, but often either get it wrong or it's just a snapshot or it's telling it from a particular view. And this is an opportunity for folks to come and see us as we are, as modern people, you know, expressing ourselves culturally and have some of these important conversations about reconciling things like the namesake of the town of Amherst, where the powwow is. And so, like, it's a big thing to be able to hold powwows in a place that has a history tied to somebody who was very obviously anti-Indigenous, you know. And so I, I appreciate that we've been able to make it work over the past couple of years. I think it's also important to have, like, that space where people are learning from a community and not, like, a single person <laughs> that they have as representative totally. in their lives. Yeah. Like, you may not know a lot of Indigenous people, you may know one indigenous mm-hmm. person, and that person is probably tired of your questions. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> well, not only that, but you know, but, sometimes that person might not be the person that the community wants right. to put forth as their. It's you know, not like a, it's not like a universal thing right. across like all of the nations. Like yeah. like everybody's experience is a little bit different. Yeah. So like having something like this that brings together very like all sorts of different folks and First Nations and Indigenous peoples, like, is a great opportunity to learn better and more. Yeah, we hope so. I mean, um, last year, I think a lot of people, their takeaway was that they were really glad that they had the opportunity to be able to see it and hear it and experience it for themselves. And we try to make sure that, like, our MCs explain what you're seeing so it's Mm -hmm. not just happening in a vacuum, you know. Um, The average student between... You know, like first grade and 12th grade gets about 18 semester hours a year on indigenous people. And that takes place between Indigenous People's Day and Thanksgiving. (laughs) Right. And you spend more time than that learning to tie your shoes. And then people walk out into the world thinking they have an understanding of indigenous people without really realizing how varied we really are, you know. So that's Justin Beatty, one of the founders of the Odenong Pow Wow, which returns to Amherst this weekend at Amherst. Pelham High School, also joined by Kara Nye. I want to hear about your personal, you know, background and your tradition. We were just saying how indigenous communities aren't a monolith and you're going to be bringing different communities together. And uh, you mentioned how you were a singer and a dancer for the majority of your life. But Kara, you are also a teacher and you've been able to share with some of your students because it's happening at Amherst Pelham Regional, some of your tradition. Share that with us. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. So my I'm Odawa, Little Traverse Bay Band, which is like northern Michigan. My whole family still lives there, but my mom moved to Vermont before I was born. So I was raised in Vermont. So I was raised really not talking about indigenous. I like tried early on in elementary school to mention it once. It did not go well, and I just kind of <laughs> didn't try again until college. <laughs> um, and I unfortunately think I really carried that into my experience as a teacher in a school like the high school that I went to was a rural school with five towns that fed into one high school the high school that I teach at in Amherst is a rural school that has five feeder towns you know um, it felt a little too similar I think and I just never talked about it and like over the years as I've grown in my own interaction with my own identity and made much more connections with indigenous people, both back home when I go to Michigan each year and then also here. Uh, I hadn't really figured out how to be a little bit more open at work about that. Um, And it's only just been like little snippets here and there. A student will happen to notice something and and mention it to me, but I've always been just so awkward about it. It's just so awkward. Um, (laughs) And, but it's cool. Like just this week, I'm I'm putting up flyers. I'm talking to students in the hall. Students are coming, oh, I want to volunteer. How can I get involved? And actually, we were in Cleveland with some, I teach band, so we were in Cleveland with a bunch of music students. And this chaperone came up to me and was like, hey, uh, I'm native and my kids are in your program. And did you know that? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? So like, they're going to come volunteers. It's been really cool to just actually have to talk about that. And shout out to all my kiddos who are listening. <laughs> and there's still opportunities to volunteer and to support mm-hmm. it. There, it's I know it's in some ways funded by a Mass Cultural Council grant, but there's also a GoFundMe set up yes. to, to help support what does that money go uh, to help support in oh, regards so to the powwow this weekend? It, it goes to every aspect of, of this event. Um, it goes to paying to rent the space. It goes to providing, uh, you know, food and drinks for our elders. Like the elders are an important part of our community, and we really try to make sure that they're taken care of so that they don't have to worry about anything while they're there. It goes to help paying for the um, the singers, our arena director, our MC, our head judge. Um, it goes to helping to pay for the insurance for the event. Um, all the flyers that we have to put up, uh, you know, renting tables and chairs and, and all these things. It goes to help to pay um, for the competitions, to help the dancers, you know, because folks are traveling from all over. And, you know, even if it's just enough for them to be able to get coffee on their way home, we want to be able to give them something. Um, we also have what uh, a traditional giveaway at the end of the powwow where we thank the people who came that served in particular roles for us and people that have been important to the powwow. We gift them, uh, you know, special things. Um, so some of that stuff is things that we've made personally um, or we've had made from other people. And some of the stuff is like, you know, we go get a basket from the dollar store and load it up <laughs> with candy and snacks for the ride home. Um, and so there's there's a lot of things that go into putting on an event. It's just like if you were planning a concert to, to some extent, you know. Um, there's a lot of hidden little costs that pop up last minute, um, you know, paying for the um, – the fee to be able to have a food vendor, you know, to the town and and all these different things. But it has been interesting, sorry, uh, just how it's not just like putting on a concert because just like you were saying, like there's – we're squishing indigeneity into a capitalist economy, which, you know, doesn't, doesn't really it doesn't fit. jive. And so (laughs) there are all these expenses that end up 
happening so that we can express that. Like, yeah, right. we buy things so that we have stuff there for elders, like you were saying. And it's just, it's funny to see it re- like culture reflected on a spreadsheet and a budget in all right. these hidden ways that make it pretty expensive to put on. Yeah. And, and you know, there are elements of it that, you know, we wouldn't normally have to spend money on. You know, these are things that... Um, because we live in a capitalist society, it requires, you know, you have to spend money to do certain things. Um, you know, ultimately, one of the goals is to eventually be able to buy land so that we can have the power every year and not have to worry about it. We also want to be able to have a medicine garden where we grow on traditional medicines to just be able to give to members of the community. Um, we want to have a space where if, you know, somebody needs to have ceremony for one of their kids or want to be able to get married or want to be able to, you know, have a space that is specifically indigenous oriented and, you know, has the appropriate trappings, as it were, so that folks can go into that space and feel comfortable culturally and not feel prying eyes. Or, I mean, there's been so many times we're just trying to work with somebody around this powwow. I have to spend X amount of time explaining what the powwow is and how it operates rather than getting things done. Mm -hmm. And that's just the nature of how the American education system has created this disparity in knowledge about indigenous people. But yeah, so there's, we have GoFundMe. Um, People can donate through PayPal and Venmo and Cash App. You can send a check. You can, (laughs) you can sign up to volunteer. You can can stuff money in my pocket when I'm walking by. That's Justin Beatty and Kara Nye from the Odenong Pow Wow, which returns to Amherst this Saturday and Sunday, 10 o'clock Amherst Pelham Regional High. The dancing starts at noon. Um, it's free and open to the public, right? And that yep. emphasis on open to the public. Yes, everyone. Yeah, where y- you want people to come and oh, interact. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and we you asked Kara about a little bit about her background uh, mm-hmm. as an indigenous person. Tell us about your background, Justin. Okay, so uh, my background is I'm Ojibwe, Saponi, and African-American. Um, the Ojibwe side comes from my mother's mother's side. They're from a place called Garden River, First Nations in Canada. Um, the other side of my family, Saponi, is from um, uh, North Carolina and Virginia. I also have some tr- ties to uh, the five tribes in Oklahoma. Um, my dad and my grandmother, my father's mother, were born in Atoka, Oklahoma. Um, and I, I grew up, um, you know, my mom really wanted to make sure that we had access to culture because her mother had had that removed from her life. Mm. And um, my mother really felt that, you know, it's our birthright and that we shouldn't be ashamed of that aspect of our heritage, which is something that a lot of indigenous people from certain generations were were made to feel. And, and or, or was literally criminalized. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, their own yeah, language taken from their families. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, for me, um, I was born in 72. The Indian Religious Freedom Act was passed in 78. So for the first six years of my life, when my mom was taking me to powwows and ceremonies, she ran the risk of being arrested and having my sister and I put in foster care. And so the fact that my mom kind of made sure that we had access as best as she could. You know, we, were, we grew up in New York, so we were far away from a lot of Ojibwe folks. But in New York, there's a ton of indigenous folks anyway. So, you know, we she gave us access as best as we could. And, you know, 
from a young age, really tried to impress upon my, my, my sister and I the importance of just kind of knowing who you are and where you come from. Whether you choose to interact with it, you know, obviously that's on you. But she wanted us to know that, like, hey, this is something that would have otherwise been taken from you. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the food and music and making friends and being able to sit with elders and listen to really cool stories. And, you know, um, it really just became such an interwoven part of my experience as a human. And I've, I've always been blessed, and I consider myself very lucky because I know I meet tons of indigenous people that are disconnected for various reasons from, from their culture and folks that are trying to reconnect. And there's a lot of difficult discussions that are happening amongst indigenous people about identity and who should have access and who shouldn't. Um, and, you know, folks don't necessarily realize that there's a difference between the legal designation Native American and Native American as a descriptor of, like, mm -hmm. connection to ethnicities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so a, a lot of these things have really just made it um, powerful for me when I have the opportunities to participate in these communities. And I want people to be able to come and visit with us and see and learn and maybe go, wow, you know, I didn't know that. Or, you know, I always thought it was this thing. And I heard this. Oh, I heard you guys don't pay for college. Oh, yeah? Well, explain the American <laughs> Indian College Fund. Oh, you can't? That's because we pay for college. Um, oh, you guys don't pay taxes. Really? <laughs> How did you come to my house on April 16th and look at the IRS standing at my front door? Um, but, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I had the opportunity to be raised with access that a lot of folks aren't. And so I'm really happy that we have a lot of young people and older people that are coming back. And this is one of those spaces where they get to do that and reconnect. And you can do it alongside all sorts of people this yeah. weekend at Amherst Pelham Regional High School. It's Saturday and Sunday, starting at 10 o'clock. The dancing starts at noon. We've been joined in the studio by Justin Beatty and Kara Nye, who are part of the team putting together this Odenong powwow this weekend. Thank you both so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much. Great to see you both. <laughs> Thank you. The Seminole Band Fanny has a special airing on PBS this weekend, this evening. But we'll talk with local hero and Fanny member June Millington later this hour. Up next, a cosmic connection between planets and pop stars. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPN. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Time for some more kitchen table astronomy at the Amherst table of Hampshire College astronomer, Dr. Salman Hamid. Mr. Universe, you brought me here under false pretenses. I thought we were going to talk about Taylor Swift. <laughs> my kids, my big kids, went to go see Taylor Swift on Saturday night in the rain. Blew their minds. So great. Phoebe Bridgers opened up. Incredible show. And for my uh, young ones who scored those tickets. So they did go? Yeah, they went. Wow. Without me, uh, first like big, big stadium show. You I know, can't we, believe you didn't go. I wanted to go, but you know, the tickets were so hard to come by. I told my son, who is a Swifty, and was like on all the right lists to get them. I said, get tickets for the whole family. No matter what they cost, we'll buy them. They, he could only get two. Our neighbors, they went had a daughter and their father sort of like, you know, they went over yeah. there and they had a blast. Yeah. It just seems like, okay, if I was a Swifty... <laughs> Maybe I am. No, <laughs> like, you know, I was just thinking, would I have gone? And I was like, I would have thought, ah, it's too much rain. It doesn't make sense. I know, the rain, <laughs> they're going to get pneumonia.
Isn't there a comet named after Taylor Swift? Swift Tuttle? Uh, that is fine. Uh, yeah, uh, but, but no. So what I wanted to talk about, I don't know how we got into that, but what I want to talk about is one of the moons of Mars. Uh, and we don't think about mo- moons of Mars because they are very small. And so astronomers thought they knew how those moons were formed. So uh, it has two moons. Are we the only planet in our solar system that has one moon? Well, but, but Venus doesn't have any. Mercury okay. doesn't have any. Okay. So you should be grateful for what you have <laughs> and not covet other planets' moons, okay? <laughs> but we have a pretty big moon, like, you know, yeah. and so... Our moon is bigger than Pluto. <laughs> that is true. And, uh, and also the moons of Mars, even though it has two, Phobos and Deimos. Which again, I think they were sons of Aries, so okay. that the from that mythology. Phobos Bridgers, who opened up for Taylor Swift, <laughs> and John Damos, who was oh, Uncle Jesse on Full House. Have mercy. This is I don't know whether we can even finish this today, <laughs> but so it has uh, two moons. Phobos is about seventeen miles, and they're irregular shaped. So seventeen miles, sort of like you know, on the longest side. And Weird. That's small. Y- seventeen miles. Yeah, and it, and it orbits actually not that far apart. 3,700 miles above Mars, and Deimos, well, you were thinking Phobos was small, uh, Deimos is about nine miles Whoa. on the longest side. And they're sort of like, you no know, weird. So Phobos is called sort of like the potato shape, and, but Deimos is much farther away, about 15,000 miles away. And in fact, Opportunity, one of the rovers, filmed uh, Deimos going across the sun. Like, you know, it was an eclipse, Yeah. except that, well, it is so tiny and so far away <laughs> that it was kind of like, ah, it's like a transit, kind of like, uh, uh, like when Venus transits our sun. If you go on uh, the intertubes, you can actually find sort of like, you know, this kind of transit going on. So, so that's kind of cool. But astronomers have been asking, so your question as well, hey, well, how come we just have one moon? So astronomers have been f- trying to answer this question, how do these moons form? And that's a kind of a cool question. Mm-hmm our own moon until humans landed on the moon and got samples from there. And then we found out actually that some of the stuff actually, it's like the earth or the crust of the earth. So they go like, okay, so moon, our own moon formed because a large Mars-sized body collided with the earth and that ejecta uh, basically formed our moon. So I like to think of the, our moon is the earth's baby. Uh, that is, it was formed out of our own body. That's right, and uh, and the other body that came in the Mars-sized body, we don't. I mean, like went blasted through the solar system and kept going or whatever. Oh, and a lot of the stuff is in the Earth as well, or sort of like you know, it collided with it. That's one way of forming a moon, and and Earth's moon is spherical because it's large uh, from gravity perspective. And then you have many moons of Jupiter, for example, especially the large moons, where we think they formed when Jupiter was forming. So that is more like analogous to the formation of the solar system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can assure you have a protoplanetary disk and the, uh, and the planets congeal together. In the same way, Jupiter, you can think of as a mini solar system that the way Jupiter was forming, so alongside you had these other moons formed. Now, not all of them, because Jupiter has a lot of moons. Saturn has now, uh, I don't know, they keep on coming up with <laughs> more moons that they found sort of like you know, 80 more moons or something like that. So I don't know ex- the exact number. I think Saturn is now 140 or something like that. A lot of them are pieces that have been grabbed. Uh, some of them are pieces from a collision, colliding moons or whatever. But overall, the large moons of Jupiter, they think, uh, were formed from similar type of model. But what about moons of Mars? I mean, so, so we are just talking about moons and there are all these different methods. So astronomers used to think 
that Phobos and Deimos, because of their irregular shape, because of their small size and asteroid belt being not that far, they thought actually those two were sort of like captured asteroids. Mm -hmm. That's what the general assumption was. Uh, but there were some challenges, as it happens with everything, because you come up with a theory and, of course, some astronomer has to raise its hand and yeah, it's like, yeah. no, her hand and say, wait a minute, what about this? So that was the problem that they are in tight circular orbit and Mars doesn't have enough atmosphere for it to drag, like, you know, and to bring them into tight circular orbit. But there was no other better alternative. And that was the going idea up until this year. Aha! Uh -huh. Many people know two years ago, there were several probes that went to Mars. Uh, in fact, on the ground, there is a NASA rover that is on the ground. There's a Chinese rover on the ground. And then there are orbiters. So at that time, one of the orbiters that is still orbiting the Mars was from United Arab Emirates. And it's a newer space agency. Uh, this is uh, one of their big sort of like successful missions because going to Mars and successfully getting into orbit it is hard. Mm -hmm. And in fact, most missions have failed, actually. So their HOPE orbiter has been going around Mars. It has been uh, giving fantastic data. After it did most of the stuff that it was supposed to do to observe auroras on Mars and other things, now it actually provided us with close-up pictures, relatively close-up pictures of Deimos. And what it found, and, and, and it has three instruments in which it can also look for what is it made up of, right, in the composition? So it's not just the, so first of all, there are beautiful images of the moon itself, uh, but it also found the composition, and its composition, surprisingly, it's a little bit more like Mars. And so it might have been a baby of Mars's. Right, so, so not the kind of asteroid astronomers thought. They thought it was a particular type of asteroid, but when they actually measured the composition, it is more like Mars rather than of those type of asteroids. And so now astronomers think that actually these moons may have been formed from, again, from some sort of collision and that whatever leftover material is on orbit and that's what we have. So that's more like our own moon. A little bit, yeah, but, but uh, let me bring it back. I, and, and I know I'm making a mistake here, but let me go back to Taylor Swift. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason is because, and, and I just found it fascinating that Deimos has two craters that are named. I mean, like, you know, so there are two uh, features that, are, that have been given names. One of them is Voltaire, and the other one is Swift. It's me. Hi. <laughs> Not making this up. <laughs> And the, oh, well, okay, so I'm going to disappoint a lot of people. So Fabulous for Month 3 may get a lot of hate mail regarding that. But no, it's not Taylor Swift, but it's Jonathan Swift. Ah. And it's really interesting because, uh, so these moons, both Phobos and Deimos, uh, were discovered actually by U.S. Naval Observatory, an astronomer over there in 1877. And in fact, they were both discovered, uh, I think, within a few days of each other. But... Their presence, weirdly enough, was predicted by in a short story uh, uh, by Voltaire in the 18th century and also by Jonathan Swift in Gulliver's Travels. Oh, wow. Gulliver's Travels, I think, in 1726. Uh, uh, and there were these astronomers in the land of Laputa. That was the flying island. And they mentioned about two moons of... Mars. And they actually talk about uh, how long it takes and how far away they are from the surface of Mars. And weirdly, 
it's actually not that far off from what we know, even though they were not discovered for another 150 years. Wow. Uh, which, uh, if you are into conspiracies, which Monty, I know you oh, are. Oh, yes, definitely. Then some people speculate that maybe Jonathan Swift was a Martian. But anyway, so, so it's just fascinating. So that's the reason why the two craters that are named, one is named after Jonathan Swift, one after Voltaire. But yeah, I mean, I just love Gulliver's Travels. I mean, it can, I mean, it's just so much more than usually with, it shows up in movies or what, what the highlighted parts are. Yes. So little people, big people and things yeah. like that. But there is so much more. And so, yeah, the land of Laputa astronomers were talking about two, at that time, they should have been a purely hypothetical and yet, Later on, astronomers found the two moons around there. Just to show science fiction, we've talked about Arthur C. Clarke. Mm -hmm. And Arthur C. Clarke, he told us, all, all lands of ours, except for Europa, make no attempt to land there. I think we should take that seriously because Arthur C. Clarke also, in one of his books, I think Rendezvous with Rama, uh, he had a moon of Pluto. And at that time, we had not discovered it. So Arthur C. Clarke, definitely Plutonian. Believe the science fiction, or at least take it under advisement. That's right. And we may name some other moon over for Taylor Swift. Just to appease the Swifties. Up next, get ready to rock with June Millington, co-founder of the Institute for Musical Arts in Goshen and member of the boundary-breaking rock group Fanny, who have a documentary about them airing tonight on PBS. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NAPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413, the documentary Fanny, The Right to Rock, makes its PBS debut tonight at 10 on NEPM and around the country, even though it's already aired on BBC. Yeah, what's up with that, BBC? <laughs> and joining us from the band Fanny is their lead guitar player, who now makes her home in Goshen, but happens to be on the West Coast after doing all sorts of fun Fanny-related music. Because she's an awesome rock goddess on tour. Yes, awesome Currently rock goddess. on tour. June Millington, thank you so much for joining us here in the Fabulous 413. Hi there. Hi. I, am, I really am on the road with Fanny, and there's just a few people in the world who can say that. <laughs> well, I am an icon. <laughs> you certainly are. We're lucky to have you here Fact. in our backyard. But before we get into our conversation, maybe we'll hear a little bit of the trailer from the documentary, which will, as we said, debut on PBS tonight. Okay. I had no idea who they were, but this four minutes worth of music, I was like hooked. The queens of rock and roll, Fanny. Fanny is iconic, truly before their time. Men coveted rock and roll, but that was theirs. This is a girl with an instrument on. So, okay, this is a game changer. Fanny was the first all-woman rock band that could really play and really get some credibility within the musician community. So we broke through that barrier and it wasn't through talking. We just did it. There was so much pressure all the time. I mean, you have to remember how young we were. 
and how scared we were, really. We're brown, and nobody knows where the Philippines is, and many times when I felt worthless and challenged. It was hard. Being gay was still a disease. You could not be a lesbian in Fanny. They're like my sisters. I've known them since I was 16. band gave us a place to belong. We were all different together. You make me they made five records. You know, the Go-Go's get a lot of attention for what we did, and we only made three records. They didn't have that number one hit in the platinum records that the other bands had, but those other bands wouldn't have had those platinum records if Fanny didn't open the door. That is part of the trailer from the documentary, Fanny, the Right to Rock. And apart from the voice of June Millington, who joins us here in the fabulous 413, you could hear people like Joe Elliott from Def Leppard in there, Bonnie Raitt, Todd Rundgren, uh, and more are all featured in this documentary. Uh, June, it must feel like an honor that uh, is a long time coming to have people finally paying attention to this level, to what you have been doing and doing so well for so long. Yeah, I mean, it. it's kind of like um, waking up in this really groovy dream, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I was in the 70s, and now I am actually in my 70s. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which the whole thing has totally uh, encircled itself. It's, it's like a, it's a fable, you know, but it happens to be true in my case. Um, Totally dreams can't come true. It's really incredible. And as I listened to those, uh, the, you know, those snippets, uh, that was Cherie Curry who said, you know, men, uh, what did they, she says they craved rock and roll. They felt like they owned it, whatever it was. That's so true. That's so true. And I have lived every single uh, quote in, in the movie. Um, and it has really turned around, around on itself. I mean, the fact that I'm AAPI, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asian American Pacific Islander. I mean, that's a uh, that is like nice now. Back then, you couldn't even talk about it. People didn't even see that we were brown. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They didn't see it. They did not see it. All they saw was, huh? There's a girl with an electric, electric guitar. No, no, cannot be, cannot be. You know, cover the window. Call, <laughs> call your parents. <laughs> Although I feel like there's only so much of that has changed. As another brown girl who plays guitar and has yeah. for for years, like there's still a lot mm-hmm. of that that we still encounter, yeah. like to this day, which I think is one of the reasons why I really love the um, the ideology behind IMA and just getting like more women in in, in with instruments in front of more eyes, so that we can stop being seen as novelty. IMA is the Institute for Musical Arts in Goshen, which June Millington, our guest, helped to found <laughs> with her partner of many decades, That's a sidestep, but Anne Hackler. And important. I do definitely want to talk more about the Institute for Musical Arts in Goshen, because yeah. that's what brings June to our neck of the woods Indeed. here. Uh, despite yeah, the plus fact- you're so nice, Monty. I love you. You're the only person I would do this for. <laughs> 12.30 for me in California. I barely woke up. I wasn't going to out you, but June is in, on the West Coast where it is Rock and roll lifestyle. 12.45. And she said, I don't Rock do anything before 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, I was like, Are you We're still in our the- hometown. We're homies <laughs> yeah. here in Sacramento. This is where our first band started. And this wh- is where we moved to from Manila. And your, Sacramento. your first band was also yeah. all uh, women as well. So t- tell mm-hmm. us about, like, you know, this was not something that you had 
representation to try to emulate. Tell Ooh. us about those early yeah. days. Yes. And what... Tell us about Svelte. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Svelte. Well, Svelte. Um, you know, we didn't even think of really of starting a band. We were hanging out with Gene's boyfriend's surf band. Dig it? Gene right? is your Gene sister. Is a bass player. Yeah. Gene yeah. Millington, Gene your sister. is a bass player, but she was hanging. We were hanging out with the band, and we were like, you know, we would do some songs between their sets, like maybe Heat Wave or Nowhere to Run, Martha and the Vandellas. Yeah. That was a rocking tune. <laughs> but we had no, no aspirations to be in a band ourselves. But then a girl called us from another high school. By the way, her daughter's coming tonight to oh, the gig. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Her son came to the gig at the Whiskey a few days ago. So it's really incredible. But she called us up. And I remember exactly where I was standing. It was in the kitchen. We were all the kids. We were all painting the kitchen. And this girl called. She says, hey, I heard, I heard about you, you and your sister. And I hear you're really good. Do you want to start a band? What? I mean, just like that. Just like that. That was like her second sentence or something. Mm -hmm. And um, I, Jean was standing near me, and I mouthed her, do you want to start a band? She said, do you want she to start a band? Me. Yeah. <laughs> I just mouthed it to her. I, I, I barely even whispered it, and she looked at me, and then she said, <laughs> she <laughs> right away, she said, yes, within two seconds, yeah. <laughs> and that's how it started. So then we all, so she had a set of drums. She had a set of drums, and we rehearsed in her, live, her parents' living room. It's the fate they of every drummer's like family. TV. Everybody's going to play and practice at your house, well, at the drummer's I mean, family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they, they had a car. They drove us around to gigs. You know, so it was really perfect. And she was good, man. She was good from the jump. Incredible. So every person we found to be in the Svelts magically was really incredible. Uh, Bree was our next drummer. Alice was our next drummer after that. Addie Clement was our guitar player who played with us at the Whiskey, excuse me, the Troubadour, when uh, Richard Perry's secretary saw us and called him up and said, you gotta sign these girls, man. <laughs> you know, so synchronicity happened sequentially and just in the nick of time because our first album basically came out in 1970, you know. Tell us about the transition of the name from the Svelts uh, to Fanny. Fanny means something very particular in England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't you know, mean necessarily the same thing here, but... Yeah, yeah, because people, even in the film, assume we knew what Fanny meant in England. Uh, we did not. I heard, you know, Fanny means something else, which people snicker about, but we didn't know. We thought that was a great double entendre. It was a girl's name. Mm -hmm. You know, I heard of this group called uh, Daisy Chain, and I... I went to the girls, we were thinking, we, I mean, we were changing our name from Wild Honey. So it was the Svelts to Wild Honey to dot, 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 question mark, right? <laughs> so I said, you know, I heard of this band and it's got a girl's name in it. Why don't we use a girl's name? So Fanny was not something that you snickered at in the United States. You had your Aunt Fanny, you had your grandma, maybe your sister, your cousin, you know. Uh, Fanny Hill was, okay, it was an X-rated book, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Fanny was not something that you laughed at. And um, actually, Fanny was my avatar because I saw Grandma Fanny with, you know, warm cookies and a cup of hot milk. She was in front of me, right? Because I was so shy. Yeah. I didn't want to really play lead guitar. I was forced to, you know, by, by circumstances. So she was my literally my avatar because then i could play as loud as i wanted and do anything i wanted behind 
her. Mm. She was my protector. And man, oh man, do you play, or women, oh women, I should say, so well. Like, you shred that guitar like nothing else. And uh, one of your earliest boosters was David Bowie. And then the David Bowie yeah. connection between you and your sister and your family and the band yeah. now yeah. continues even to this day. Yeah, well, you know, he was a sincere fan. I mean... It's it's not like anybody made that up. He wrote us a fan letter mm. after our first album. What did that what did it say and what did that mean album. to you at that time? It meant nothing. I didn't know David <laughs> Bowie And we didn't keep the album in the note. Can you believe oh, that? Oh my word. Oh no. no. Another fan letter. You know, it didn't you know, we were moving so fast. I mean it's kinda of hard to fathom how fast Fanny was moving through the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, because we played the Tonight Show, we played both Fillmore East, Fillmore West. We played every rock show that there was. We went to Europe. We played Bika. You know, ain't that peculiar? Which, by the way, we are doing live on this oh, tour. It's my favorite of your tracks. Because asked me if I would. <laughs> I had to watch B Club to figure out the tuning and what my moves were. I had no idea. I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. But I think I can do that. <laughs> well, coming up, we're going to talk more about music with the iconic June Millington, who was featured prominently as the lead guitar player of the band Fanny in the documentary Fanny, The Right to Rock, which makes its PBS debut tonight at 10 right here on well, on the television version of NEPM, and we'll also talk about the Institute for Musical Arts in Goshen, as we alluded to, on the other side of this break. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Chloe Smith. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. That is the music of Fanny. And the guitar player behind Fanny is June Millington, who makes her home in Goshen. Fanny is the subject of a new documentary that will make its PBS debut tonight at 10 o'clock. Fanny, The Right to Rock. And June, I got to know you in our fabulous 413 here because of you and your partner, Ann Hackler's Institute for Musical Arts in Goshen, which has a specific mission in continuing with the mission that Fanny started, which is making sure that female identifying people have a right to rock, that they have access to rock, and that they are learning all the aspects of the music industry. Tell us what was the inspiration for you for the Institute for Musical Arts and what, why we're so lucky to have it in Goshen here in Western Mass. Okay, well, don't get freaked out, but I started hearing voices in 1975. Wow. I was at a meeting at Olivia Records, which is women's music, essentially, uh, headquarters, and I started hearing this voice, and the voice said, what about all the women who are going to be coming down the line? And I thought, okay, I heard you, and I (laughs) kind of put that voice away. Ten years later, I'm living with Anne at Hampshire College, and coincidentally, I was in San Francisco doing a gig, and I'm having a chat with Angela Davis. And I said to her, you know, I'm hearing, I heard this voice in 75, and I'm hearing more now, because now there are like 10 voices, and they were coming in my dreams. And asking me insistently, what are you going to do? Oh, my God. So I, 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 gave, I, I just was having a conversation with Angela, and she said, well, get started. And I'm like, what? You know, I, I'm not an organizer. She said, yeah. That may be, but they're talking to you, so get going. Mm. Here's my sister's number. She's a lawyer. So she was a co-founder of, of IMA, which 
in fact, Don't Tell Anyone is a totally revolutionary group. Oh, okay? yeah. All oh, right, yeah, for we're sure. on the down low. We're doing the good stuff. You are. <laughs> it's so yeah. cool. And, like, it's not just, yeah. like, for anybody looking into it, and you really should because the organization is fantastic, it's not just about playing. It's about production, about back end of what happens with, yeah. like, actually making yeah. a track. It's everything that actually goes into, like, making a ready song. And that yeah. part of it, I think, is really, really fantastic plus workshops and concerts and all sorts of like fantastic things it's such a cool organization well you know we are definitely physically in the now paying it and playing it forward mm -hmm. that is a super important thing because we're passing the whole thing on to the next generation i mean you know all the videos that i've taken i have june jordan at our place for dinner at IMA West, right, in the 90s. I have all these conversations. I have Linda Tillery doing a soundtrack. I have our lives as they happen, not on stage. I mean, of course, I, I shot on stage as well, but behind the stage, who really were we? Who were all these women who created this really cool stuff, right, uh, through the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2010s? Now we're looking back at the year 2000 nostalgically. What? I mean, it's you know, and Mia Hugs, who is on our tour, she's the second bass player along with Lee uh, Madaloni, who's Gene's son. So we have two bass players. We have two drummers, Alice and Bree. We have two guitar players, me and Patty, and one Gene Millington. And she's <laughs> sitting on a wheelchair on the center stage singing with us. That's all you need. You just need Gene to be there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And she's then made it's an for sure funny because she, she's the, it, she was the, she is the only woman who was in every iteration of Fanny. And the, I'm including Fanny Point One in there, which is the band that created and recorded um, a Butterboy. Which is a song <laughs> about David Fanny Bowie. And you, you yeah. had left the band to go uh, study Buddhism in Woodstock, right, at that time? Well, you know, I really needed the teachings. I needed the healing. Yeah. And that's what saved me. I mean, that's what helps me uh, communicate with the girls because subtly or not, I pass that on to the girls what i tell them overtly what i tell them you know sort of to their faces i'm i'm giving you choices but you know i'm giving them life lessons you know time management is so important yeah <laughs> for Ju example june millington from fanny who's also I feel called out somehow <laughs> institute for music <laughs> arts and ocean tell us a couple of the artists that if you're music fans in western mass you would have heard of that have come through that institute for musical arts well and the kids for sure yeah mm -hmm. You know, and um, uh, what was the first band? Oh, three girls. Well, you know, Mia Huggins, who's in Prune now. And by the way, she's playing with me on June 10th at the Drake. We're uh -huh. doing a benefit for Jean. Oh, okay, nice. because, yeah, Jean needs help consolation. We have a GoFundMe page for her. I hope you don't mind that I mentioned No, no, no. And she had some medical issues. She's on the road to recovery, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she's got her, um, you know, her helpmate here on the road with her. That's part of the expenses. So, and actually, the Drake called me and asked for Fanny. I said, you cannot afford Fanny. <laughs> That's not a cheap date. That's not a cheap but date. But Fanny so played the... So why don't you get me? Oh, yeah. June herself and is a cheap date. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fanny, <laughs> Fanny did just play Whiskey A Go-Go, though, right? And like recapturing was... the magic from the time when you first started out. You know what? Before we stepped on stage, uh, Don Young, who is uh, the, our point person at CAM, which is the, the, essentially the organization that, you know, organized the whole thing, he said to me, tell me, tell me, when is the last time you were at the whiskey? 
And the last time I can remember being in the whiskey was 1973, 50 years ago. Wow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we shredded it. It was packed. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, it's weird. It's like I hit that first thing on Ain't That Peculiar and I can feel it all, you know. I can feel the power. I can feel the representation. We're representing uh, women all over the world who want to be free, you know, set them free people. <laughs> but not only let them have their say women, uh, queer women being queer women is a huge part of, of your life yeah. and the documentary's <laughs> life and yeah. AAPI, as you mentioned as well. So it's really, you know, it's remarkable. You're a treasure that we're lucky to have here. And I am part of a Facebook fan group that says in, that's called induct Fanny into the rock and roll hall of fame. And I follow them, <laughs> that Facebook group religiously. Cause they're so good. We, I feel like we have to mention you have a new, there's a new album that yeah. will be, that's coming out yeah. for Fanny. Oh, well it can't. Fanny walked. The earth came out. Oh, well, it's uh, out. Yes. There's new, actually, there's new work. And, yeah, and just when it was about to physically be released is when Jean had her stroke, interestingly enough. So we've had to represent in a whole other way. We've had to figure out how to represent honestly and not hide anything and just be, you know, like when Jean talks about uh, where she's at, she talks about how she can't, you know, play bass right now. Her grandchildren are like the biggest thing in the world to her. But she still gets to be with us. And that's... You know, that's so important to me. It's what it is. Represent the way it really is, right? And it gets somehow bigger and stronger. That is the legendary rock goddess, June Millington of the band Fanny. The documentary Fanny, the Right to Rock makes its PBS debut on public television all across the country tonight at 10 o'clock. And like I said, we're real lucky to have you in our backyard, June. And this is her iconic Ain't That Peculiar, my favorite lick that she does. That slide is so good. So tasty. Thank you so much for joining us, June. You are so welcome. Tomorrow in the fabulous 413, we head to Tanglewood to check out its symphony of trees. We'll chat with groundskeeper Tom Leahy and senior publicist Matthew Erickson about what makes the arboreal areas of their corner of Lenox and Stockbridge so special. And we'll sit down with Dave Weissman of Millstone Market and Mike's Maze in Sunderland to talk about the making retail work of their, for their farm stand and the harsh realities of the recent frost to a lot of farmers in our area. Our director is Tony, once more into the breach, good sirs, done. Our engineer is Betsy, given to the floor demons, Cordis. Our technical team is Bart, roughly everyone if you round up Rankin, Kara, Boxes and Power Strips Foster, and Punk Rude Boy Dubay. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley, Guitar Orchestra, The Medicine Singers, Taylor Swift, and, and Fanny. Fanny. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. See you tomorrow on the fabulous 413.